0: Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen.
1: This morning we have a real special treat in store for you. You've been hearing this for several weeks now. Been talking about my friend Maury Davis and Pastor, would you come? Maury and I met when he was an evangelist, we think it was in 1988, so it's about a lifetime ago. A lot of you in here weren't even alive then, but Maury and I were. We go way, way back. He came to a church I was pastoring in Arkansas City, Kansas, and we held revivals from, uh, usually it was Sunday to Wednesday. He'd share his testimony on Sunday night and then just preach the word the other nights. God did amazing things. That little church grew from about 20 people in 1986 to over 500 in 1993. It was an amazing thing, and Maury was a part of that growth and helping us reach that community. He is my friend. His wife, Gail, can't be with us today. They live in Nashville. She's taking care of grandbabies. But I'm delighted that Maury has come this morning. I'm not going to share any more of his testimony. He's going to tell you about that. So would you welcome Maury Davis to All Nations Church this morning? Bless you, brother.
0: Well it is an honor to be here with a long long-term friend and a man that I love and respect. I've watched God use his life in different places and I have no doubt that God's going to use him here in a unique way. There's a scripture that I've always leaned into. It's that the latter glory will be greater than the former. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever, don't ever let the middle define you. It's not how you start. It's not what's in the middle. It's how you finish. And for your pastor and for this church, that's a word I'm believing, will affect your life. I uh, will tell you the story of my testimony, but let me tell you, at this point in life, I have been uh, married to Gail Davis since 1985. God gave us triplets in 1986, uh galen gabrielle and danielle one little cajun looking boy my daddy's a cajun and two little blonde haired scandinavian looking twin girls uh ten years later we had another son we named him oops and uh yeah yeah my wife is a tormentor she told me she was pregnant i thought oh god not again i can't do it again (laughs) The woman, I call her Fertile Myrtle, really, because she delivers litters. And, uh, but God blessed us. We went to Nashville in 1991 and found a little church on a gravel parking lot. And I left that church in 2018 with about 4,000 people, $53 million worth of buildings, uh, 60 acres, eight church plants, 2,000 church buildings in Kenya that we built, orphanages in Chennai, India, Nairobi, Kenya, and Chiang Rai, China. I mean, uh, Chiang Rai, Thailand. Uh, God allowed us literally to to go far beyond what I said, and the reason I said that is I'm one of those people that when God said I didn't choose the wise things of the world, I chose the base things. I chose the uneducated. I chose people that everybody else threw away, so that when I use them, they can never take the credit. There's no glory in me i'm as messed up as any person you've ever met now i'm not as messed up as i used to before i met jesus but i'm my wife says you're not messed up you're just a mess and and i tell her if i wanted to hear from you i'd ask you a question and no i i don't do that i just talk about her when she's not in the room because i'm scared of her she's from arkansas she'll cut you and uh she's holy with a little bit of hood so so when I left the church in 2018, passed the baton. I wanted to pass a baton, not a cane. I uh, felt called to start working with churches. And for about two years before I left, I started working with pastors. How do you grow a church from 100 to 200, 200 to 300, 300? And I really went back to school and, and got involved in redeveloping my thought process, not on how to do it, but how to help other people discover how to do it in their DNA. Because every church should be as creatively created as every human being. We don't rubber stamp churches. We don't do carbon copy cookie cutter churches. And we have to find the DNA of the church and unlock that because in that DNA is your bloom. In that DNA is your fruit. In that DNA is your future. And so, I went back to school to to learn how to do coaching and consulting, which is different than preaching. Here, I'm directing you. Coaching and consulting is I'm asking you to have the revelation. It's, It's what God did. Adam, where are you? It's what Jesus did when he said, who do you say that I am? You know, Lord, you could have just told him who you were. But there's something about that aha, that spirit revelation that gives you a conviction to run the race. And so... Before I get into my testimony, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Is that okay? How many of you are easily offended? You are. (laughs) Do you have any volume or anything you could take before I do what I'm fixing to do to you? Somebody hug her and just tell her, it's going to be all right. You're just the easily offended one in the bunch. (laughs) I'd also ask who's the crazy person in the room, but I don't want more than one person to raise their hand. I feel like a mosquito in a nudist camp right now. I know what I'm going to do. I just don't know where I'm going to start. And uh, how many of you want your church to grow? Raise your hands. It's funny. Watch some people not raise their hands. Like, no, I like it like it is. Don't want nobody else in here. All right, now I'm going to ask you the question. How many of you really, really, really love Jesus Christ? Hold them up. All right, put your hands down. How many of you love people? That's the truth. All right. How many of you said, Mari, I love people and I love Jesus? You raise your hand, hold them up high and keep them up. I want everybody that has your hand up, if you brought a visitor, keep your hand up. You brought a visitor. You brought the visitor. All right, I want to do something for you. When we leave today, I've got some books out there. There's a book on the last ride, how I was diagnosed with cancer and I took my 18-year-old high school graduate on a 30-day motorcycle ride and did devotions with him every morning so that I could build character in him in case I didn't get the victory. I want to give you that book. I've got a book out there called Hindsight 2020 of the 10 things I got wrong. You pointing to somebody? She put her hand up? Did you, give, did you bring a visitor? Well, you can, Same thing for you. I'll even sign yours. <laughs> I'll sign them all. But the book out there, Hindsight 2020, is the 10 things I got wrong. But there's a workbook that goes for it because it's to learn how to do introspection. Remember that prayer, Lord, search me and try me? You know, we're co-laborers with Christ. If you don't work with God, him searching you and trying you doesn't produce fruit. You got to act on the search and acknowledge the revelation of what you find. That book's out there. There's a thumb drive out there that looks like a cassette tape, but it's a thumb drive. And at the end of the 28 years, my children all listened to all the sermons I preached for 28 years. And they picked their top 50 sermons. That's available out there also, and it would help me. I have eight grandchildren. I've got one that's just a few weeks old. It would help me a lot if you would really buy all that junk, and uh, it's good stuff. The only thing I didn't bring, and I don't know why I left it, is my first book I wrote was Why I Believe in Santa Claus. I gave Pastor a copy of it. I wasn't raised in church, and so the first time I went to a Pentecostal church and it came to Christmas, somebody went all berserk about the church put up a Christmas tree in the lobby, and then I heard people talking about Santa Claus, like, you know, uh, I don't lie to my children. That's not true either. All parents lie to their kids. You lied to your children. Any of you dads ever said, got your nose? What do you think that made the kids think they look like? <laughs> your mamas? Biggest liars of all. If you do that one more time, <laughs> come on. I don't want you to take a nap. I just want you to lay here quietly and watch this show this afternoon in this cool room with a blanket on you on this couch. I'm not asking you to take a nap. Just lay there, baby. <laughs> yeah, come on. But I gave Pastor a book, and you can go to my website, mariadavis.com. if you want to order one, or go to Amazon. And uh, I personally believe that Santa Claus was the greatest Christian that ever lived. Most people don't know that. Little boy named Nicholas that lost his parents, became a bishop, gave away his money, made the, the first person that ever made the statement, the secret of giving is giving in secret, was St. Nicholas. Was imprisoned for five years during the Aryan controversy because he would not deny the infallibility of the word of God. Uh-huh was involved in writing the Nicene Creed. You ever read the Doctrine of the Trinity? St. Nicholas wrote some of that. His principles of generosity have changed lives. I have been in dung huts on the Massamara, Mara. Pastor, you've been there. I have been in Burma when they were killing Christians and preached underground in the church with two or three guys that were willing to put their life on the line to get the gospel into that horrible, brutal nation of what they're doing to Christians? I've been places they've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of James or Paul or Peter. I've never been anywhere in my life from the dung huts to the jungles of Indonesia that they didn't know about Santa Claus. And if you know the story when somebody says, I don't believe in Santa Claus, you can use the scripture. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant and ashamed. I encourage you, stop by, let me meet you each and every one. In January of 1975, I was 18 years old. I know for some of you that's beyond your imagination, and, uh, but it doesn't seem like that long ago. I had been in a military academy in Roswell, New Mexico for two years because I'd become a drug addict in junior high through my sophomore year of high school. So my junior and senior year of, of high school, my dad sent me to a military academy in Roswell, New Mexico, where in the military academy, I stayed totally straight. No drugs, no alcohol, because there are aliens in Roswell, New Mexico. And I didn't want to have a bad experience out there. But I came back to Dallas in the summer of 74. And by January of 75, I'm a speed freak. You would call me a meth addict today. I'm 133 pounds. I'm strung out. And you say, what happened to you? You can put a person in a controlled environment, but until there's a heart change, there's no destiny change. There has to be an internal change to change the destiny of a person's life. And I'm strung out my natural father, who's about as tall, almost as tall as Pastor Dow, uh, called and said, I want to talk to you. He came over to my apartment where I was living. He passed my brand new Cadillac and my Mustang and my Ford Fairlane 500. I was 18 years old. I was running hard and flying high. My dad stepped into the apartment bloodshot eyes, drunk as he had been most of my life, sat down and began to confront me with the life that I was living and the road that I was on. And his dad confronted me with those things. I just sat there like so many young people do saying, let's get this over with. I'm sitting here outside respectfully, but I'm not hearing you. I'm not listening. I'm gonna, I, I just need you to get this out of your system, get it over with. And my dad realizing that my son is in grave danger of destroying his whole life, did something I never thought my dad would do. He said, Mari, I want to talk to you for a moment about God. I did something I never thought I would do. I slammed my hand down and said, dad, wait a minute. You don't know me very well and you haven't been around very much in my life. So let me tell you something about your son that you don't know. I don't believe there is a God. I remember thinking if there's a God, he'd have done better than a daddy like you. You divorced my mother when I was five years of age. You've been married six times and failed in marriage six times. You've climbed your way to the top of the business world over and over and over again, only to drink your way to the bottom over and over and over again. How many Friday nights did your sons come out and sit on the front porch and wait on daddy to get home to pick us up? And when the sun would go down, mom would come out and say, boys, come in. Your daddy ain't going to make it this weekend because you couldn't get past the beer joint to pick up your own kids. You say, Maury, how can you be raised in the South and not believe in God? Number one, my stepdad, who adopted me and gave me the name Davis, had a lake house. And every one of our Sundays was spent at the lake. If you want to know who your, God, who your God is, tell me where you are on God's day. You know the word "sabbath day that we're supposed to keep holy, like the tithe is holy, anything that the Bible says is holy, you know what that means in English? Not yours. This is one day you don't get to make a decision. Isaiah 58 says, "The Sabbath day is when you turn your foot from your own pleasure. I didn't go to church, didn't hear the gospel. Didn't learn it in school. Our nation is so unbelievably confusing. Why is there so much violence? Why don't people love each other? Why don't people respect each other? Maybe when you started teaching the theory of evolution, you taught people that they need to act like animals. Maybe when you took God out, you let the devil in. Maybe when you devalued life and made abortion a matter of women's health like the flu, maybe you changed the value of human life. You say, Mary, what about the church? In 18 years, I would never been invited to the church. Not one time. Because people that go to church don't want people like me in their church. That whosoever will is good for God but maybe not so much for church folks. We want that one but not that one. We want them but not them. That's why Jesus turned over the the money changers tables. It wasn't because they were selling stuff in the church; it's because they were upcharging the Gentiles so they wouldn't come to church. What tables need to be turned over to keep people that don't feel welcome here from feeling welcome here? I don't care what you're doing, you're welcome in the house. Now, you can't go to the kingdom unless you change your ways and get to the altar, but you're welcome in the house. I can't take you to heaven with me without you coming to Jesus, but you're welcome in the house. My dad didn't know what to do. He ate the rest of that meal in silence, and he stood up and began to cry. First time I ever saw my daddy cry. And he said, Maury, I'm not a good father. I'm not the father I should have been son, I'm not the Christian I should be, but there is a God. I met him when I was 16 years old in a little church in southern Louisiana. And my drunk daddy started to walk out the doors of that apartment and turned around and spoke to me. He said, God's gonna put you in a place to get your attention. And at the brilliant age of 18, I thought, whatever. I'm gonna do the same thing tonight I did last night. I'm going to head back to the club. I went dancing every night. I went drinking every night, chasing chicks every night, using dope every night, and committing enough crime to fund my lifestyle. The Bible calls it eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, you're not considering eternity. What I didn't know at 18 years of age is how quickly life could change. Within 24 hours of my dad walking out the doors of that apartment, in the middle of a crime, I committed a horrible, brutal Despicable. pick all the bad words you can put on a person, murder. That was me. And 24 hours after that, after a high-speed chase and a car wreck, I was arrested and taken to the Irving City Jail. So they took me out of the car. I was shackled hands and feet and handcuffed surrounded by the police officers and the TV cameras were all lined up to see the man that had done this in Dallas, Texas. And as they took me in the city jail, Sergeant John Loper looked at me, and he was looking at a family portrait that they had taken out of my apartment when they raided it the night before looking for me. And he realized he had gone to school with my stepdad, Bob Davis. And he said, is Bob Davis your daddy? I said, yes, sir. He said, sit down, pick up the phone, and call him. You're going to be on the news in about 30 minutes in this town, and your dad's going to wake up to see this. And I picked up the phone, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, this is Mari. And he said, What do you want? And I can tell he's thinking, Why are you calling me at 5 30 in the morning? And I said, Daddy, I'm in jail. And you could hear the exasperation in his voice. He said, What are you in jail for? And I said, Daddy, I'm in jail for murder and I'm guilty. I didn't understand the heart of a parent when he regained his composure he said don't say anything to anybody will be there as quick as he can it wasn't long after that that Dennis Brewer showed up Dennis Brewer was Dallas's number one criminal attorney he was the racehorse Haynes the Johnny Cochran the Al Shapiro he was that guy in Dallas he was a person that I knew because I'd gone to school with his daughter Susan through my junior uh, sophomore year of high school from elementary school on I knew his family I saw Dennis in the bars he was a womanizer he was a drug user he was a corrupt attorney he was the most powerful corrupt attorney and whether we want to admit it or not when you're guilty you want a corrupt attorney. Spend the money. I thought my dad got Dennis Brewer and Dennis and I are talking and five minutes in the conversation he pulls a Bible out of his briefcase and says boy I got to talk to you about God and I thought they're just going to electrocute me. I mean this guy don't know God He's he's the devil. I mean and he began telling me this story about how Mario messed up my whole life, I've lived like the devil my whole life, but six months ago I came in drunk and high, and I'd won a million dollar lawsuit, and I was so excited, I was so high when I came in about two o'clock in the morning when the bars closed, i just be celebrating, I was drinking and shooting my pistol in the house, just shooting through the ceiling and to the second floor of the house. My wife came down and said, Dennis, I've got to leave you, we've got five kids that all live upstairs, you're going to end up killing somebody, we're leaving you, and he said, that I woke up the next morning, my wife and my kids were gone, and I realized I had ruined my whole life. I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew to do was go to that little Pentecostal church that she went to. And so I put my suit on on Sunday night because I was too drunk on Sunday morning to get up and go to church. Went over there on Sunday night. And somehow among 56 people, I heard a sermon by Pastor J. Don George. You've met him, Pastor Steve. And somehow I found myself at an altar. I don't remember going to the altar, but I realized I was crying and I was blubbering. And all of a sudden I asked Jesus to change my life. And Mari, he's looking at me and I'm locked up. He looked at me and he said, let me tell you what Jesus did. He took away the alcohol. He took away the drugs. In a moment of time, he radically changed my life. And let me tell you, God doesn't just save people, He does other things. He baptized me in the Holy Spirit while I was jogging on the road. And it was embarrassing. I began to dance in the Spirit in the middle of the intersection, speaking in tongues. And I felt like a foolish person thinking this attorney's lost his mind. Then my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I thought, God, after all I've gone through, and now we're finally right. And I'm right. I'm the husband I ought to be. I finally got it right you're going to take her from me and I went to a full gospel businessman meeting and heard about healing and they laid hands on my wife and God supernaturally healed my wife of breast cancer and he tells me six months of God doing miracle after miracle after miracle and then he asked me a question he said now son are you ready to pray I said no he said what do you want me to do for you I said I want you to get me out of jail he said, no. I said, why not? He said, oh, son, you're not ready yet. Wise words. Was sent to the county jail where I waited for trial. And sobriety said, in. I'm not talking about detox. That's a, that, was, that had already happened. I'm talking about of your soul when I went to wake a young man up that slept in the bunk next to me and when he didn't wake up, I called his name, I patted on the bunk and just as I pulled the blanket off his head, I saw the blood under the bed and somewhere in the middle of the night, four feet away, this young man had committed suicide and took his life. A few weeks after that, there was another man that hung himself across the day room in the other cell and I'll never forget when the guard read the note that was in his jumpsuit that he had written to his wife and his children. I don't remember the whole Thing, but I remember the last phrase. It it was like it scarred my mind. It said, I'm sorry for all the pain that I've caused you. You'll be better off without me. I can't take it anymore. I remember standing there holding onto the bars, looking at the guards, cutting him down, and reading that to each other. And it hit me when do I write that letter to my mother and my father? I'm sorry for all the pain and the shame that I've caused you. I can't take it anymore. You'll be better off without me. Finally, every time I saw that attorney, he'd say, are you ready to pray? I finally got ready to pray. Sometimes we help people before we should. Sometimes you need to leave them in that mess. I don't know how to pray. Somebody said, did you pray in the name of Jesus? Nah, didn't know him. Did you pray in faith? Nope, I prayed in total doubt and unbelief here is my prayer. God, if you're up there and you come down here and prove yourself to me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. God would expect me to pray in the name of Jesus today and in the name of faith because I now know better But God meets people where they are. So that's kind of a shallow prayer. No, it's the best I had. If you're real, prove yourself to me. Do you know the most insane people on earth are backsliding Christians? <laughs> you know better, and you're going to go to hell? For what? Uh-huh. Every kind of preacher began, come talk to me on the world. Pastor George came, and he said... I understand you prayed. I said, yeah, whatever. And I'm still, I'm crazier in the bed bug. He said, I'm going to lay hands on you. Now, Yamari, you're not going to understand this, but you've got the demon of murder in you, and I'm going to cast that thing out. I thought, whatever. He prayed. The next morning I woke up, and my moral values had reverted to when I was 12 years of age. There was a clarity that came in my mind, and then there was a young man brought into my cell by the name of Tommy Joe Wilson. Tommy Joe was a backslidden Pentecostal kid who had gone to his first bar with his older brother when he turned 18. They got in a big bar fight, somebody dropped a knife, and he picked it up so nobody would stab him, and this big guy yanked him up, and when he threw his hands back, he stabbed a Dallas police officer, two stitches on this thing but they charged him with attempted capital murder. Now they've locked this young 19-year-old boy up and he has done hit his knees and said, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never go to another bar again. I'll never drink again. God, please forgive me. God baptized him fresh in the Holy Spirit. See, God will always meet you when you're willing to come home. Just ask God to forgive you and go down the road and so Tommy Joe comes in, and here's this guy that's got a smile on his face. Now, I'm in a cell with five eight-man cells and a day room and the shower's in the back of it and picnic-looking metal tables in the front for the chow hall. Get to come out of your cells for the, during the day. There's 39 crazy people, demon-possessed, murderers, and rapists, and pedophiles, and, and con men, and violent people, and, and, and bipolar people. I mean, it is a mess of messed up people. And here's a happy person. Now, you need to understand, you take all the women and the children out of a room, men don't look happy to start with. But you take the happy people out of their lives, and they're just grumpy and growling and grimacing at each other and powering up and bowing up. And, and here's a happy person. A happy person is a person that draws light. You're attracted to happy people. Ain't nobody attracted to grumpy. I'd hang out with him and say, you want to study the Bible? I said, nah. But my life went downhill. The psychiatrist that evaluated me, Dr. Grigson, uh, said I was a homicidal maniac and would kill people the rest of my life and gave me the worst psychological report in the history of Dallas, Texas prior to 1975. And I went and sat on one of those tables, I put my head in my hands, I thought, am I crazy? Do I not even know myself? Am I that? And Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, Maury, listen to me, everything's gonna be all right. It wasn't long after that that the district attorney got a letter from my attorney, and my attorney shared with me, I asked the district to just plea bargain for 50 years so they don't try to put you in the electric chair. I thought I'll be 68 years of age. I'm not going to live 50 years in here. It's not going to last that long. And I can tell you that as I sat down on that table, Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, Maury, everything's going to be all right. It wasn't long after that that the district attorney tore the plea bargain up and let me know he was going to try to put me in the electric chair. And I sat down on that table realizing that my life was over. Tommy put his hand on my shoulder again. He said, Maury, listen to me everything's going to be all right. He became an encourager to me. He became a friend. One day I stopped an inmate by the name of Richard Salisbury from molesting a younger inmate. I was just tired of the perversion and all the junk going on. And it was a jawing contest. It didn't get physical. It was just face-to-face, two guys jawing at each other, and finally Richard went away. And I forgot about it. When I went to bed that night, I wrapped my blanket up on a little plastic mattress and just tried to get warm because it was so cold. And just as I almost went to sleep, I felt the shank hit my throat and Richard said to him, uh, Tommy Joe said to Richard, Richard, if you kill him, you have to kill me too. And I can tell you that I thought, what is it about this man that makes him willing to put his life on the line for somebody like me? I didn't know how to say I love you. I'd never heard my dad say that to my mother, much less in our family. But I loved that man like a brother. And my brother went to trial and when he came back, he had a, pepping his step, a smile on his face. I thought they let him go. They let him go. He's the only person I know that does not belong in here. And when he came in, I asked him the question. I said, what did you get? He said, Mario, they sentenced me to prison for 75 years. It's like a... Fist went through my gut. It just hurt down inside, and I did something I'd not done. I went and I laid down in my rack, and as I pulled the blanket over my head, I began to cry because my friend's life was over. He's not ever going to get out, and this man deserves to be out. He didn't do anything intentionally, he didn't stab anybody on purpose. The police officer testified he didn't even know he was a cop. I mean, he was in plain clothes, and this is unfair. And as I realized his life was over, it dawned on me if that's what they did to him. You're going to the electric chair and it hit me the revelation the reality. You're never walking outside. You're never going to see the sun come up in the morning. You're never going to see the moon and stars at night. You're never going to feel another raindrop, feel another snowflake. You're never going to swim in another lake. You're 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 never going to you're never going to see the flowers bloom in the spring or the trees turn in the fall. You're never going to hear a wave crash on the beach your life is over and then it really hit me at a deeper level like way down deep inside your mother will never touch you again the rest of your life she'll never put her arms around you and say son i love you she'll never put her hand on your arm and say son i love you your daddy will never put his hands on your shoulder and say, son, I'm proud of you, and it dawned on me at 18 years of age, I wanted my daddy to be proud of me, something I had never given much attention to became proud of me, and I just broke down, and I began to sob, and I was laying there crying, just broken, and Tommy walked in, and somewhere out of that human emotional mess, I asked him the question that changed my life. I said, Tommy, how do you handle it and I never got, forgot what he said. He said, Mario, I'd rather be in this jail with Jesus Christ than back out there living like we were for the devil. When that man said that, the scales came off my eyes. Something supernatural happened inside of me. And I said, Tommy, tell me about your God. And he took a Bible and opened it to a scripture you might know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Then he took me to Corinthians, where God would make the old things pass away, and all things become new, and I would be a new creation. And I knew if the old things didn't pass away, I could never have a chance for a life. But because God could do that, that was my hope. A God that would be a friend that sits closer than a brother, never had anybody like that. A God that would never leave me or forsake me, never had a father like that. A God that could make a way where there is no way, never knew anybody like that, a God that could open a door that no man could shut, if God didn't open the door, it wasn't going to open, and as he read the word of God to me, Jesus Christ walked off the pages of this book into my life, and I got radically saved, I mean, I got down on my knees, and God did something that I don't know how to put in great words, but he took out the heart of stone, and gave me a heart of flesh, he, he gave me compassion, I didn't have any compassion, I didn't have any empathy, I didn't have any conscience about what I did to other people. Because my life was all about me. And boy, when God changed me, my heart shifted in a moment of time and I got saved. I got born again. I want to tell you something God makes people right, not bright. God deals with the heart, but you got to renew your mind. Pastor George brought me a Bible. Greatest sermon I ever heard. First Bible I ever got. He said, "Mari, read this book and do what it says. <laughs> That's the greatest sermon I ever heard. <laughs> read the book. You know, if everybody did what the book says, church would be full. Uh-huh. Everybody would pay their tithe. Everybody would love each other. You'd forgive each other. You'd have a little grace, a little mercy. You would also not be tolerant. God's not tolerant. He's patient. He wants to give everybody, tolerance means it's okay what you're doing. Patience means I'm waiting for you to quit doing that. I'm going to love you in it, but don't ask me to approve of it. I've never read the Bible. Some of you have been reading the Bible for years. I'm reading through the Bible and I'm going, wow, I mean, this book is amazing. Like, I'm thinking about Sarah, Abraham's wife. How would you feel if your husband says, look, baby, that king's going to kill me. Do you mind uh, spending the night with him? That's the father of faith? You've got to be kidding. Uh, this, if you, this book is awesome. I got all the way to Jonah. And, you know, if you read the Bible with your imagination, there's vain imaginations and there's God-given imaginations. You need to see the word of God come to life, which means you've got to imagine the story. And, you know, I got out. I'd never heard a preacher preach a sermon after eight and a half years. But I got out after eight and a half years. That's a whole other story. And I heard my first sermon about Jonah. From a Pentecostal preacher. And God said to Jonah, How far will you run? I thought, eh, that ain't how that happened. God ain't got to scream at nobody. My imagination, first time I read it, may not be the same today as it was then, but first time reading, is God was kind of like Casper. More of a ghost. He just kind of stuck his head in the middle of the well, looked at Jonah, and in my. Unregenerated mind looked at him and said, "You're an idiot." I think God thinks that sometimes. I think He loves us, but He's like, "You're being an idiot. Stop that." Now you may say, "I don't think God thinks that." Well, you 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 live in your own imagination. Trust me, you don't want to hear this squirrel. I don't think God screamed at Jonah. I think He asked him a question. That's why I talk to you about questions. Most people brought to repentance are brought through questions. I think God asked Jonah the question, hey buddy, which end of this fish do you want to come out of? Now that'll make you pucker up, won't it? (laughs) That'll make you make a better decision. (laughs) I think I'll go out the same way I came in. And see, some of you that are church people, you've been saved for, you know, since the petrified forest was alive. When I say things like that, your little rear end sucks up and you suck fabric up on the chairs. And we know who you are when we leave. There's a little crease in the middle of your chair. That was a fabric sucker over there. I get all the way to James. I'm doing pretty good. And I had a little trouble with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because I couldn't figure out why they kept telling the same story over and over and over. I thought this is where the people that don't get it re- have to read more often. These are for the slow readers. And uh, I didn't understand. I didn't, know, I didn't know the Pentateuch, the Gospels, the minor Prophets. I didn't know all that junk. I'm just reading through it. And, and I'm fascinated. I, the funniest stories in the world are in your Bible. And uh, how many naked women did Jesus talk to? He's the only preacher who could get away with that. Uh Uh-huh. He was, uh, you know, naked people in graveyards, naked people caught in adultery. I mean, the woman at the well. I told a pastor's wife this morning, the woman at the well was Jesus' favorite disciple. You know why? She wouldn't quit. I'm gonna do it till I get it right. God can use anybody who won't quit. Mess up as much as you want, just don't quit. I get to James, I hate the book of James. If I could tear one book in my Bible out of the Bible, it'd be book of James. James is the apostle that needs to be slapped by everybody that gets to heaven because nobody wants to do James. It starts out with that crazy scripture. Count it all joy when you come into various trials. like, don't nobody do that. Billy Graham didn't do that. Mother Teresa didn't do that. Don't nobody do that. Somebody runs into you out on the road. You don't get out and say, this is the day the Lord is made. I'm going to rejoice. Hallelujah. I want to thank you. What the devil means for evil. God's going to turn for good. I want to thank you for running into my car, ruining my day. You don't have insurance. I don't have insurance. And I'm going to be riding a bicycle all over Tallahassee. This is the day. God is good. It's like, I'm going to whoop somebody. Don't make me hurt you. You better get some insurance. You better sell your children. I don't care what you do. You're going to get me some money. Now, a day or two later, you finally say, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start counting my blessings. I'm gonna get my attitude right. But don't nobody do that. That was okay with me, but the one that I really had a trouble with was when I read out of the same mouth I not to come both blessing and cursing. It was like, ugh, oh, ugh. Oh, I'd never had conviction. I only meant stay about three weeks by the time I was reading through it, because I was reading the Bible, I had plenty of time. I was reading the Bible pretty quick. And I'd never been convicted where the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to deal with this right now. Right now. I went to Tommy and I said, Tommy, did you know it was a sin to cuss? He said, yes. Well, I grabbed him. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, it's not your biggest problem. (laughs) Isn't that amazing how as Christians we want to clean God's children rather than let God clean them? Let the Spirit say, I'm going to deal with this now. And I'll deal with that, land. Yeah. So said, Tommy, I got to quit cussing. He said, let's pray. I said, I don't want to pray. I want to quit cussing. I cussed when I prayed. I'm sure y'all that traumatizes y'all, but I mean. And it wasn't the little words. It was the big, deep, bad ones. And I, I didn't think about it. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want you to hit me. That's how my dad corrected me. I thought that's how you fix somebody. Hit them. And he said, that's your, do you know how many fights you have? I said, Tommy, we're in jail. We're going to have a lot of fights. You've got to fight for your manhood. You've got to fight for what's right. You've got to defend the weak, I mean, all this stuff. He said, you just like to fight. I said, I do. I love to fight. And uh, I said, if you love Jesus and you love me, you'll hit me. He said, okay. I'm standing there. I said, he hits me right here on this shoulder. I don't bruise easy now. I sure didn't bruise easy then. And he hit me hard down to where it bruised. And I looked at him. It made me mad. I said, thank you. Walked off. Thought I asked him to do that. I shouldn't have been cussing. My bad. Later on that day, I'm talking to somebody, and I don't see him, and he hits me on the bruise, and it knocks me off my game, and I catch myself, and I start at him. I'm going to give you women an understanding. If your man gets hit, and he says, please don't hit me, you're married to a sissy. The Bible says act like men. There is a biblical definition for manhood and it's not acting like a sissy. That's politically incorrect, wasn't it? Yeah. I try to not do those things. I hope it was God. Anyway. I started at him, and I go past him, I said, thank you very much, thank you very much, Tommy. So I mean, I'm thinking, you didn't have to hit me like that, you didn't have to hit me on the same bruise, that really hurt. I get in my bed and I throw the blanket. I said, I tell you what, God, I'm not cussing anymore, because if he hits me again, and these other guys think they can hit me like that, there's going to be some fighting going on, somebody's going to get hurt. And I tell you what, God, I'm not cussing anymore, you just watch me. Can I tell you, that is the dumbest prayer you'll ever pray. God... Help me, good prayer. God, deliver me, great prayer. God, strengthen me. God, be with me. God, fill me. All those are good. God, watch me. That's just really stupid. He's already watching. Yeah, I'm in Santa Claus. The next morning, I'm in line. I don't even know why I'm talking. I had not even got my food on my tray yet. I'm in the line to get the food. And as I'm standing there talking, I must have cussed. I see Tommy start to hit me on the bruise. I threw my arm up, and when I did, he hit me right on the button of the jaw, busted my head on a metal pole, knocked me out. And as my knees locked, and I knew immediately, I'm out. I'm my. I feel my hands dropping, my body straightening. I thought, this is gonna hurt worse when I wake up because I'm gonna. Lay, it's concrete. I come to. I got blood everywhere. My nose is broke. My head's bleeding from the gash on my head. My jaw is bruised. And Tommy's squatting down with a towel going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, no problem. That's how I got delivered from cussing. I told you, God makes you right, not right. There is a better way, ladies and gentlemen. You could say, well, if you renew your mind with the word of God, the words of the world won't be coming out of your mouth. If you change what's on the inside, what's coming out will be Right? Long story short, we go to trial, and I got a 20-year sentence because my jury foreman was an ex-police officer that had been possessed with the demon of murder and delivered, and he fought 11 people for me to not get a life sentence without parole. I tell God when they tell me I only got 20 years, I jumped up and shouted. The little baby that pulled his gun said, I'll shoot you this time. The last time I was in court was before I got saved. I got him down and was taking his gun away from him to shoot him so I could get out of that jailhouse. The other guy hit me in the back of the head with a shotgun, really hurt. And uh, I said, man, I'm going to win the penitentiary to Jesus. He said, there's something wrong with you. Let's go, let's go. I get to the Texas Department of Correction, 45,000 inmates, largest prison system in the world except for Soviet Russia and Communist China. And I get locked up the first day with people your pastor size. Six foot tall or taller, 190 pounds or more. I got in trouble with the little guard there. And he asked me, he said, what's your problem? Instead of saying, well, I saw some things I've never seen and I'm trying to stay out of trouble, I went into teenage stupid. I want you people right over here to listen to me. Teenage stupid. I ain't got no problem, bud. <laughs> when I call that Major Bud, Bud, bud my name is Major Andrews. <laughs> Do you think you can make it my penitentiary? I want to say no, sir. I'm scared to death. Can I please go home to my mom? Please. <laughs> but once you get stuck in teenage stupid, it's hard. You just keep saying stuff and you know it's stupid. I can make it anywhere you put me, bud. And that screaming Major got quiet. He said, how would you like to be a number one host squad? I said, fine. First of all, I don't know what a host squad is. I don't know what number one is. I just know I don't like you and I'm not giving an inch. I'll die in my rebellion. (laughs) I'm going past these cells, they're six foot tall, 190 pounds, I asked the guy, what is the crazy? I'm five foot eight at that point, 133 pound speed freak. I realize I have managed to get locked up with the biggest, meanest people in the entire penitentiary. My third day I've been out there, and I'm I'm kind of going through some of this stuff fairly quickly because every day had a different drama. My third day I've been out in the fields, and we've been in cornfields and flat weeding and cotton fields. They're getting ready for the cotton to blossom in the fall. Farm work, Got on a horse with a whip, dogs. Picture. Farm work. I'm sunburnt. It's July in Texas. I'm dehydrated. We step into that big gang shower with spigots everywhere with just tepid water in it, but it's cool. And that cold water hits me, and I'll never forget just going, ah. Oh. And I hear this voice beside me Hey, Davis. I thought, this is it. Pervert in the shower knew this day was coming how i handle this will determine the next 20 years of my life and when you're the chihuahua and the doberman pin you you bark what what you want some of this what what and the guy says man be cool me and the guy's been talking we like you and i look around at 23 other big old guys soaping up looking at me i thought oh jesus lord god have mercy he said You stay in so much trouble. We don't hardly have to do any work at all. I I said, I'll keep that going, bro. (laughs) What the devil means for evil, God turns for good. First Sunday I was going to go to church, which was the next Sunday. I told them I was going to church. They said, we don't go to church. I said, I'm going to church. They came in my cell and wrapped me up in toilet paper and lit me on fire while I was asleep in my bunk. Because they didn't want, they said only sissies and snitches went to church. But I told God, if you prove yourself to me, I'll serve you. You don't get to tell me to back up on this God that I met. I got so mad, I came out and they're all standing there, you know, they're all cocked up. All the weightlifters, I came out and I'm popping them. I took my Bible, I don't know why I did it. I'm going to church, taking my Bible too. Trying to burn me up like that. I I was so mad, I wasn't hurt. But I was mad. I got to the back row of church, said, well God, we showed them. And he said, yep, when you leave, they're going to show you. These people kill people. I mean, and the guards don't care. It's a violent place. And so I thought about my options. You know, I ran track. I played 12 years of football. I got some moves. (laughs) All the doors are locked. You're like that little mouse in that snake aquarium. I mean, they're just going to eat you when they want to. I thought, okay, I've taken two years of hand-to-hand combat. I've got two years of taekwondo. I boxed Golden Gloves for two years and went to the state championship Man, you're gonna hit one of these big guys and hurt him, and they're gonna kill you so slow. So I got saved, and I know you said, "Well, Mario, you just got saved." I know, but if you think you're fixing to get stabbed to death, you pray that prayer all over again, just to make sure that between just a couple of three months ago and now, you're still good. I walked in, and God had given me grace to die that day. I really thought I was gonna die. I walked in, I looked him in the eye, held my Bible. They began to gather around the cell door. I stood up there, I thought they'll just stab me, we'll get this over with, Jesus, I'm coming home. And Jesse Fontenot looked at me and said, Davis, you can go to church anytime you want to. You're the first real Christian we ever met. I never forgot that. I don't have to compromise my faith with anybody. I don't have to say because the world has lost its values and gone crazy that I don't know what God's values are and the values that built our nation and will change the world. Biblical truth, as transformative go. I'm going to tell you two more stories Chaplain Dick Kastner calls us down the chapel and there's about 75 or 100 that are new to the Ferguson unit of the Texas Department of Correction. He said, guys, I want to tell you about our church program. And he introduced introduced us to five inmates. I only remember one. His name was Pee Wee Garrett. He was the brother of Alvin Garrett, who was the wide receiver for the Washington Redskins. And he was a dope dealer, got saved, filled with the spirit, called to preach, went to Bible college, and then they sent him to prison for something he did seven years earlier. And he said something I've never forgot. He said, I've got a God that is so big, I haven't had a fight in three and a half years I grabbed him I said man what do you know about God that I don't know he said I know about the baptism of the Holy Ghost I said what's that he said it's the power of God I said do you have it he said yeah I said give it to me man he said brother you don't get stuff from God like that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord and if you'll come to my Sunday school class Sunday, I'll teach about it. i would never been in Sunday school, didn't know how to go, found out how to go. was a room where the inmates got their GEDs. They had a little desk in it for the training. They sent me down front row and center, kind of where you are. And I'll never forget, it's packed. There are people standing around the walls. He said, before we begin today, let's pray. I've never been around Pentecostal people. Bowed my head, clasped my hands, closed my eyes violated the word, watch and pray. In a Pentecostal church, you better watch. You'll get hit in the head by a worshiper. I thought he would say, Jesus, help us to understand your word today. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Give us hearts that are receptive to the seed of the word. Let our soul be fertile. But he doesn't do that. He goes off. God! In the name of Jesus Christ, move in this place. And when he said move, every one of those inmates came up out of them desks. Their hands went straight up in the air, and they all began to pray at the same time. It was a—it was an amazing amount of unacceptable noise. And as they're all praying you hear God do this, God do that, God send the wind, God send the rain, God—they're bouncing, they're praying, they're going at it. And all of a sudden, they begin to speak in other tongues. I have no idea what's happening. I'm scared to death. I, I'm. I'm, I'm tormented. I look down. My knuckles literally are clasped in their white. And I say, God, if nothing happens to me, I won't come back. I just got saved. I don't know what I did wrong. I'm trying to do right. I'm just trying to get everything you got for me. God, and they start trying to stop praying, and they don't have the ability to stop because once you get Pentecostals into that Pentecostal vein, they don't know how to stop. And they'd you know, they almost get quiet, and then somebody would shout, and they'd go praying again. And it's like a choo-choo train. shh do you know pentecostals don't understand what the word amen means amen means we're done the rest of us can go to lunch the rest of us can go to breakfast the rest of us can go do something it means god quit listening to you because you said god i'm done amen but you don't know how to end your prayer so you say amen glory to god No, you shut up you said amen the rest of us are tired of praying we want to go eat They finally stop. These guys are sweating. I don't understand intercession at that point. I don't understand anything. I just know they've been crazy. He says, open your Bible to Acts chapter two, verse one. So I, you know, go to the front of the Bible to find out where Acts is because I don't know where anything is and I get to Acts chapter two, verse one and, you know, I'm over there looking at it and when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and in one cord. Pentecost. I wonder what that is. I thought he was going to tell me the other day Pentecost is a feast day for the Jewish nation. This is what it represents. It's two days back to back, which was an abnormal celebration of one of God's religious holidays. He starts going, The Bible! Hmm, says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 uh, that when the day of Pentecost had come uh, they were all in one place uh, and they were all in one accord uh, and all of a sudden uh, I said all of a sudden uh, there came a sound from heaven uh, it did not come from J.C. Penny it did not come from Sears and Roebuck but it came from the throne of God it came from the porters of glory as the breath of God transcended the volume that the throne of God could handle it flowed down upon this planet, there came a sound uh, like a rushing mighty wind. Uh, have you ever heard the wind, church? And the guy beside me jumps up and goes, I hear the wind, I hear the wind. And all of a sudden, he said, There appeared upon those men cloven tongues like as a fire. Have you ever felt the fire, church? And the guy on the other side jumped up and goes, I feel the fire, I feel the fire. They're dancing, they're humming, they're jumping. And then he says, Now, do you want it? I said, no. And I got up and took my Bible and I ran out of that room. I got to church on Wednesday night and I saw Tommy Joe Wilson, the man that led me to Jesus. I grabbed him, I hug him, I said, Tommy, you know that guy over there? He said, Maury, that guy knows the Bible better than any pastor I ever had. Why do you want to know about him? I said, he spit all over me last Sunday morning. I said, you know anything about this Holy Ghost? And Tommy said, oh yeah. I so, it's the power of God. It's forever believer. I said, do you have it? He said, yes, I do. I said, then give it to me. He said, "Mario, you don't get it like that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. I said, get your Bible. He said, I can't, but I know somebody can. Hey, Terrence, can you teach Mario about the baptism? Here comes Terrence Smith from Chicago, Illinois, with a big cross tattooed on his head. I thought, what is it about Pentecostal people? I don't want to hum when I talk. I don't want to tattoo my head. I want people to quit hitting me in my face. We sit down in the back row of the church. He said, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. I thought, God? I'm going to beat him. This This is worse than a Stephen King movie. But you know what? 45 minutes later, as he walked me through the word, I realized that the power of the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus, empowered him in the wilderness, was available to me. And my faith came up. I said, I'm ready to pray. He said, you ready for it? I said, I'm ready. He said, hang on. Hey, Pee Wee, come on. He's ready. So here comes the people in that Sunday school class. They get me in the back of the church. they about this big. And they make a circle. And they grab the other hand so I can't escape this time. And they start singing. I think, I don't want you to sing. If you just lay your hands on me and pray, I'll get it. But Pentecostal people have to do Pentecostal things. I didn't understand God and have his praise. I didn't understand change the atmosphere. I didn't understand all that. I just thought, just pray for me. I'm going to get it. Which was true. My faith was there. Just, but they had to go through their rituals. And see, we're Pentecostal. We're in the spirit. Some of that stuff's just a, a ritual. If somebody says, I'm ready to pray, just pray. That's free today. Then they they start praying. Their hands are up. They're praying in tongues. And it's amazing. I'm standing there thinking, Okay, if y'all just lay your hands on me, I'll get this thing. And then they get the signal and this freaked me out. These guys are I mean, they're in tongues. They're going. They're bouncing. And they stop like this, like those schools of fish that all turn at the same time or flocks of birds. It's like, I thought, man, I missed the signal. Who gave the signal? (laughs) I don't understand the moving of the Spirit of God. And then they start to pray for you. And there's no way they're just going to walk over and say, Jesus, give it to him. They do that Pentecostal thing. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Father, oh, God, he wants it. Yes, God, we have it. Oh, God, we're going to pray. Oh, Jesus, oh, 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 glory to God, God. We love your presence. Oh, Jesus, this is the moment for this young man. And it's like a jellyfish. Their hands are out, but it, it, they start coming in. I think this is it, and then it goes back out. Now, the circle's getting smaller all the time, and their hands are there five feet away and four feet away and three. Finally, I catch myself busting a move. I'll catch one of them. And then I get the signal. They all jump on me at the same time. And just like that, God baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak in other tongues. And I was so, I was tremendously filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to say this, and I want you to hear my heart. I prayed in tongues this morning. I prayed in tongues yesterday. I prayed in tongues during the worship service. I am grateful to God for all the gifts of the Spirit and the gift of tongues. But can I tell you that something was more important that happened to me that day? I'd already watched people come to church and walk out the doors of a church after making a commitment to Christ that three months later weren't in church. And I was afraid I was going to be one of those people that didn't keep their word. That day, God sealed me and gave me a spirit of confidence that he that began a good work would finish it. One quick story, and I'm going to give a very simple altar call. December of that year, Christmas Day, They gave me an apple and an orange, my first two pieces of fresh fruit that year. And I will never forget sitting in my cell, my feet straddling a cardboard box and my Bible open to Luke chapter two. I didn't know at home my mother was praying. My mother had been saved. My stepdad got saved. My stepdad went and let my drunk daddy to Jesus Christ. God saved every member of my family. Mama's crying as she's looking at the table. And there at the table, I wasn't going to be. God, what am I going to do without my boy? And it dawned on her that she had her husband and three other children, and aunts and uncles. Long story short, she began to pray for my boy. He's going to be by himself in a five-foot wide and nine-foot long cell. And as she was praying, God spoke to my mother. Said, don't worry about him. It's his first Christmas away from you but it's his first Christmas with me. That's what it's about. As I read the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The spirit of grace came in that cell. I didn't have a Christmas card. I didn't have a present. I didn't have another human being to celebrate Christmas with. But that day, I didn't care. It was the greatest Christmas I'd ever had because I was in love with the one that was in love with me. You know, every year at Christmas I get an apple and an orange and I sit down and read that story and ask myself the question, do I still love him today the way I did that day? Have I kept my first love? This past Christmas I sat down with my daughter's grandchildren, my grandsons, they're eight, twins, Harry and Davis. And I gave them an apple and an orange and I told them the story. And I said, would you love Jesus? They said, granddad, we'd love Jesus. I said, would you never stop loving him? I want you to go to heaven with me. My question is where are you? Can I get you to bow your heads and close your eyes just very quickly? I'm going to ask two questions and pray a very simple prayer. If you're here today and you say, Mari, I'm in love with the Lord. I've been saved. I've been born again. I know that I'm where I need to be with Jesus. If I died today, I'd go to heaven. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Would you raise your hand up if you know you're ready to go? Hold your hands up high, please. Put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed. If you say, Maury, I couldn't raise my hand. Either I've never made a commitment of my life to Christ or There's some things in my life that would concern me. Pray with me this morning, preacher. If you couldn't raise your hand the first time and you'd, let me pray with you, would you raise it right now? Just hold it up right now. Hold it up. Anybody here? Hold them up a little higher, please. I just saw you two. Come on, all the way up. Shoulder up all the way high. Come on, there you go. There's nobody looking, it's just me thank you. Those of you with your hands up and only those of you with your hands up would you look up at me? If your hands are up, look up. I'm making eye contact. You can put your hands down. I'm making eye contact with you, brother. Put your hand down. Look at me, brother. You got your hand up. Come on. I'm making eye contact. Put your hand down. Jesus said, if you believe in me, That's the beginning. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth, he is Lord, you shall be saved. But the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth one confesses salvation. And so I want to pray with you today, whether you're committing yourself to Christ for the first time or rededicating yourself, I want to pray with you today. And... I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you're going to pray this prayer. Jesus said, if you're ashamed to be in front of men, I'll be ashamed of be in front of the Father. Can you stand up if you're going to pray this prayer? Come on, young ladies, young men. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come here. Could you come? Could you come? Come down here where I can look at you. Step out. Come on. You're standing. Come on down here. Come here. I'm going to lead you in just a simple prayer. Hermano. Simple prayer. The whole church is going to pray it together if you believe what you're saying and you pray this to God you'll be saved if you just repeat a prayer and you're not praying it it doesn't mean much but if you're really praying it God change my life forgive me of my sins make me whole church would you pray this prayer together with us dear heavenly father in Jesus name I ask forgiveness for my sins God I pray you change my life make me new make me what you want me to be I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead and I confess with my mouth from this day forward Jesus Christ is Lord of my life in Jesus name Amen Church can you give the Lord a hand Three things I'm going to instruct you to do. Three things. Thank you, dear. Give me one of those two, please. Three things. Number one, you need to learn to pray. You need to learn to talk to God. Start wherever you are, but talk to God every day. Tell him what you're grateful for. Tell him what your needs are. Tell him where you're hurt. Just talk to him. Number two, read your Bible. Read your Bible every day. It's your spirit's food. And number three, go to church. Every church has a pastor. Every person needs a pastor. I have a pastor. Even though my pastor died, I went to another man and said, I'm making you my pastor. You have the right to speak into my life, to tell me where I'm doing good, tell me where I'm doing bad. What do you need me to do to be a better Christian? Every person needs that person. If you'll read your Bible, say your prayers and go to church, you'll not backslide. If you don't do all three of those things, you're going to give place for the devil to come back in again. And so do those things, okay? Alright, church, give them a hand. Thank y'all so much. You. I'm going to wrap this up as pastor comes. But he told me to talk to you about the offering. I work with churches that are able to pay me for what I do, consulting and coaching, but I work with churches that maybe only have 30 or 40 people and they can't afford to pay me. It's not just me. I have four full-time employees. I have a media department. I have all kinds of things going on. Uh, I'm right now in the process. I've already created the first ones of creating uh, content video content on the baptism of the holy spirit and the working of the holy spirit the gifts of the holy spirit for a pentecostal bible university in ukraine that their university was blown up and all the students are having to get their lessons via zoom and the professors don't have what it takes they've lost their technology and so i agreed for maury davis ministries to provide content for these ukrainian students and so i've got 12 hours of uh, studio time because you have to pay and then you have to pay for it to be editing. And, and most people don't understand it's thousands of dollars I'll be in Colombia in May and working with churches down there and pastors trying to help them and they won't really be able to compensate uh, I'm going to Africa in November and my family's coming over at one point but when I'm doing leadership conferences for the Kenyan pastors who have an average education of five years of age uh, I mean, fifth grade. Uh, they don't have the money to get to the conference. So I not only pay my way over there and pay for the church to provide hospitality and food. We pray to transport them in and pay, uh, pay for their lodging. And those things can get expensive. And so uh, by buying the books and the partnerships and all the stuff out there, you help me. Uh, giving in the offering helps Pastor not have to write me a check because he knows how much it costs for me to come here and he doesn't have to sell his car and uh, no I'm just grateful I'm, I'm grateful to God to be alive today serving the God that always makes a way and so whatever you do God bless you prosper you and keep you pastor
1: thank you ushers would come this morning please if you're writing a check and you want to give to more davis ministries to help with the things he's just talked about make it to anc the same with your other offerings this offering in its entirety 100 percent will go to more davis ministries to help people around the nation and around the world he is in fact serving as a missionary with the things he's doing uh, in ukraine in colombia and kenya and other places across the nation around the world and across the nation Father, we thank you for your servant. We thank you that you have used him to store our hearts, to challenge us, to cause us to rise up in the power of the Spirit of God. I pray that today you would allow us to be a blessing to him as he has been a blessing to us. We give to the kingdom of God today. as is expanded through Maury Davis. In Jesus' name. God bless you as you give this morning. We love you. Yvonne and I appreciate each and every one of you. We're so glad that you're here. We encourage you to come back on Wednesday. We have small groups for every age level on Wednesday night. And God's going to do a good thing in your life then as well. When you're finished giving, stand with me, please. May God bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. May you understand his ways and flow in the power of his spirit. May he guide you and direct you every day of your life. And may at all times and in every place, you be a witness to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God bless you. We love you. You made it to the end of the message, and
0: now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sherer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more.